Hey, welcome back to Business Acceleration Playbook. In this episode, we'll be discussing how to build a high-performance team. Those teams that can help you scale your business, your team is honestly one of the most important assets in your business. Building a strong, cohesive team is basically the essential part of long-term success. And quite frankly, I mean, people are your greatest assets. And creating that culture around people there's nothing more valuable in your business other than those people. Absolutely. Well, and I know before we hit, you know, record, we were even talking about just the fact that so many people are understaffed right now. There's almost this like panic to hire. They just need warm bodies, right? Yes. But... If, if, are you breathing? <laughs> yes. You have a blood flow. Okay. You're hired. And it's like, yeah, wait, you, wait, wait, you wait, are what? the best fit, but here's the problem. And I've done this. Trust me, I've been in that panic mode where I'm just like, I just need someone, right? Yeah. And you think that that'll work because you think that it's better than no one. But sometimes it could actually be that no one was better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that you and I have experienced this in some of the places that we've worked and situations where an individual got hired and then you had to go back and you found how poorly they performed uh, and you ha basically had to fix everything. And it was just like, man, why did we even go down that road? Why did we allow that company to hire that individual or like what what was going on? And so when you look at this and like I said, the people are the greatest assets. They can also be the greatest hindrance in, you know, basically scaling your business, growing your business. They can be the this is just such an important thing that if you get it wrong, it's really going to set you back a little bit. And and quite frankly, it's sometimes not just the time. We talked about that in one of the previous episodes. It's not just time that we lose, but it's also the fact that we lose money because we could lose customers. They could, I, I mean, there's so many illustrations of bad hires or hiring based on the wrong principles or the wrong, whatever you want to call it. And it sets the company back massively, sometimes decades, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I couldn't say it better myself. And honestly, like hiring the right people is so critical for a high performing team that, you know, if like you mentioned, if you hire the wrong person, not only are you not going to have a high performing team, but you can literally be, you know, pushing your business into bankruptcy or, you know. Yeah. Well, I started to say are worse, but it doesn't get much worse than bankruptcy. So, I mean, well, actually, it can. I mean, there's lawsuits and all kinds true. of stuff. This so is true. Be, this is true. It could this be worse true. than bankruptcy. I mean, I, I have this actually. This is true. This is true. So, today we're going to discuss though some strategies yeah. for finding and attracting some top talent, conducting effective interviews, evaluating candidates based on their skills, experience, cultural fit, and also one important part of that is investing in leadership development, oh, organizational development, because those go hand in hand. Because it's a the theme. Is, go ahead. A, the leadership theme has been woven throughout all of the things that we've been saying. Yep. But it's, I mean, yes, it's important, but I, I would say it kind of scales up now to even being more important to the point where I would say the leadership is going to determine the, the, the strength of your leadership is going to determine the strength of your team's leadership. And so that personal development side, when you're hiring, you have got to look at the fact of internally first and how you're growing as a leader in order to effectively have a great. So let me maybe break this down because there's a couple of things here and this is all jumbled in my head and I, I need to vocalize it in order for me to to maybe hopefully get a point across. One is I have been approached and I'm sure you have, too, is people always talk to us about a healthy culture. And they want to build a healthy culture and they want to develop the healthy culture. That is a, to a topic that we're going to cover at another time. 
but in order to have the healthy culture, you have to start again with the right foundation, which is hiring the right people. As Jim Collins says, it's the right people in the right seats going the same direction. That is the start of building a healthy culture. We'll talk about that later, the culture. We'll, we'll deal with that. The other aspect of this is the fact that as you develop, there's a leadership team that you need to develop within your organization. And whether you want to call it leadership, management, CEOs, I don't care whatever part that you're looking at, there's that component that's going to be the inner circle. But then there's also this larger circle where you have a larger group of employees. Um, and depending on the size of your company, your leadership team may be one or two. It could be 10. Or it could be a situation where, hey, I've, I've got myself as a leader and then I've got my workers, helpers, whatever are in there. And then as you it, there's just going to be an expansion. You have to have an idea as you're hiring. One, I got to develop my leadership team. Two is I've got that bigger circle of employees that may or may not stay with me for the entire length of the, of the business. Well, and one of the main key components of that is to define your team's roles and responsibilities. And like you 100%. mentioned- there are, you know, leadership roles and there are, you know, the non-leadership roles, but they need to be defined. And a lot of times in small businesses, uh, people are wearing multiple hats, especially yes. if you, you know, are, you know, just starting out or you're, you know, kind of at that scale up phase. You don't typically have one person for every single role you would technically need to fill. So people are wearing multiple hats in those situations. I, it's even more critical to make sure that you have roles and responsibilities defined because I've seen, you know, multiple times where this it kind of gets lost in the shovel. I've experienced it getting lost in the shovel because sometimes, you know, as a business owner, especially if we started out wearing all the hats ourselves and then we start to hand over a couple of hats here or there, if we don't take that moment to pause and literally define what that role is, what it's supposed to be, what the responsibilities are, you know, people will come in, but they're not really sure what to do. Yes. Yeah. I, but there's two lanes that are running parallel with each other. We have this idea and what we're talking about, and, and we're going to discuss this a little bit further, but the roles and the responsibilities, that's the lane that we, we're in currently. And then simultaneously, you have this other lane that has to do with the character and the fact of, are they a good fit for the core values? So just keep in mind, we're going to go back and forth between these two concepts, understanding that they're running at the exact same time. And you got to look at those from that, that point. So the one thing I would say, especially on the team roles, um, this is a really... Uh, very quickly skipped over because you just automatically assume that because you know what you're doing, that when you hire somebody, they're automatically going to know what they're doing. And that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, so what I would say is and this is where it starts with understanding your organizational chart. And the organizational chart is not a, hey, Maria has this job, Tim has this job, Joe, Sally, Sam, everybody else's. That's not what I mean by the organizational chart. An organizational chart is defining the actions or defining the positions that are going on within your organization. So depending on uh, where you're at, uh, we, we talked about, I'm going to use mine. I mean, we have Alpine Brick. Uh, we have a situation where I have Zach who does all of our product. He handles all of that. He brings it in. He sorts it. I do the PR. I do the marketing. I do the work with the network relationships. So you can see quickly there are at any time Zach and I are the only two in the organization right now and the only two in the business. And so we're wearing multiple hats, but in the organizational structure, 
I have product development, product sourcing, we have PR, we have the networking aspect, and then we're both dealing with the customers in front when we do an event. So there's customer service aspect. We're, we're both doing a lot of different things, but we have specific roles designed. So organizational structure is the key to get started when you're defining your team roles and responsibilities. Absolutely. Well, and another thing that I would like to mention on that is when you define these, you know, it's a good idea whenever you're onboarding uh, to be able to have some of these roles and responsibilities ready that you're able to kind of train them and not only what the title of the job is, but exactly what every one of those roles and responsibilities entails. And, you know, that would allow you to be able to train them effectively. And, you know, Having a great onboarding plan, I think, is huge, you know, with um, development opportunities. And this also helps to cultivate kind of a culture of learning with the team and gives the team, you know, the ability to take what they're strong at and add to yeah. it, or maybe they're weak in a certain area and they can get a little bit stronger in that area. Right. And if you don't define that, how are you going to know if you want somebody who's very talented as an accountant or if you want somebody that's more of a people person and you look at their personalities? So there's, there's a couple of things that are really important in the organizational structure. One is the job description. You mentioned that earlier. You have to define what that is that they're going to do. Two is showing them the path to success. Right. And you talked about a little bit of that in regards to I mean, there's a lot of different areas of that, but it has to have a very specific path to success. And then what is and I call it the responsibility, but others will call it, what are they accountable for? In other words, are they accountable to answer the phone in two rings? Are they accountable to respond to emails? Are they accountable to work on social media and respond to the comments? What are they accountable for or what are they responsible for? And then that whole concept of extreme ownership, and that's a, a great buzzword right now. It just means the fact that you are taking responsibility for that area. And those, I think, are probably the primary three when you're looking to hire. If you don't know what that is, how the heck are you going to find an onboard or train when you don't even know what what the what, what are you training them for? I mean, you got to know that, and then you've got the onboarding and the training, and it's it it all starts to build on each other. Well, and I know one thing that a lot of small business owners make the mistake of early on is not only not defining the roles and responsibilities, but even if they know that they need to somehow define them, a lot of times they mimic places they've worked and that could be good or bad. I know I did the same thing. Like yeah. I, I thought when I first started that I needed to, you know, just create this handbook, right? This like I paid to have these handbooks made and the handbooks are great. Don't get me wrong. But that was that was literally <laughs> all I had was this handbook that was dry and I don't learn like that. So I don't, yep. I, I, I literally never have read one handbook anywhere that I've ever worked. So <laughs> that's why I think it's hysterical that I thought like, this is it because also there's going to be lots of people like me that don't read them and just sign them. Yes. I totally read this. Don't ask me questions. Yeah, all, all the time. All the time. Yeah. I mean, it's just how, what happens. Right? right. So, and I know that, but that was what I thought I needed to do because I was mimicking what I'd seen. So it's great to learn you know, things from where you worked or from other people, but you need to kind of think about, you know, number one, what's your own personality? What is, you know, kind of the personality that's going to be kind of the vibe and the culture of your business. I didn't want a business that was dry and handbooky. You know what I mean? I didn't. Um, so I don't know why I thought that I needed a handbook. <laughs> you know, I've, I've literally got boxes of them. I paid so much money for boxes of them sitting in my conference room closet. Because I don't, I don't know why I just need to throw them away, but I spent so much money on them. I just like save them. 
Well, but I mean, some of that stuff is definitely important and yeah. we need to have some of that, those things. But um, a Deanne Turner, who was the HR director for Chick-fil-A, uh, she has this little code that she uses whenever she's onboarding or hiring people. And it, it, she calls it the three C's and they build on top of each other and they go in this order. They go character, competence, and hang on, I got to look chemistry. up the last one. What's it? Chemistry. 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 Exactly. So character, competence, and chemistry. When we're looking at the job description, that fits underneath the umbrella of competency. Do they have the ability to be able to perform that job? Remember when I said at the beginning, I mean, we have these two lanes that are running side by side. And the other one is your character. And I know that, you know, some of the things that we talk about when we're onboarding is we want to look at their character. Do they have a character of learning? Do they show up on time? Do they take that extreme ownership? And that's part of character, which then as you're looking at it, it fosters that teamwork spirit. It creates that collaboration for a high performance team to, to be able to work together because if they can be as competent as they can be about a specific thing, but if they don't have the character in that, and then so character, competence, and chemistry, chemistry then starts into the personality so that not only do they have the ability to communicate with the team, not only do they have the ability to collaborate, but they actually get along with them and they actually like each other and they're not like hating to come in. And that's where the chemistry aspect comes into play as well. Absolutely. Well, and one of the things I know, like for me and the people that I like to work with, I always say all the time, I can teach competency. If you have the, like the ability, you know, potential there, I can teach that. It's really hard to teach character and chemistry. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I am more interested if you've got a great character and you've got great chemistry, I will be fine teaching you specific skills. I will be much more likely to hire somebody like that than somebody that comes in with all the skills and doesn't have the character or the chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, man, there's so many things that we could go down and I, I'm going to let you lead on which direction to be able to go with this because one of the other things that we you were talking about was in regards to how do we actually build some of that chemistry I'm going to tell you straight up, the best way to build some of that collaboration, the trust, all of that, it has to come through shared experiences. And those shared experiences are specifically developed. Now, we're kind of overlapping a little bit into how do you build your culture, but at the same time, the culture is the people, right? And so as we're looking at how do you build your team and how do you actually onboard those shared experiences and whether that's an outdoor activity, whether that's uh, going out for lunch, a Christmas party, um, there's a lot of different ways to be able to create that collaboration and that teamwork. But sometimes it has to be done outside of the, the workplace. Sometimes it has to be done, I don't know, go shoot skeet, uh, kayak down a river. I don't know. What, whatever it is that your company is is there, maybe you go and you actually go serve at a soup kitchen. I, there's a lot of different ideas, but it's the shared experience that you can do together as a team. And that really, truly bonds the, the team together, the employees together in a way that is frankly unbelievable. Absolutely. And I know a lot of companies I've even worked with to do, you know, team building workshops and stuff. This is something they actually integrate in with their onboarding. And I kind of adapted some of that into kind of my business hiring too, that, you know, you can take your onboarding and schedule some type of, you know, teamwork collab type of thing. And I, for me, I, I found it super helpful that when I'm hiring people in, you know, I think it's important to kind of put them on kind of a, you know, a 90 day window just to say, let's see if this is a fit for both of us. Like no yeah. harm, no foul, but see if it's a, a fit, not 
only to see if they can actually do the job. But, you know, that way we're able to see if they're a fit within the company culture, a fit within, you know, everybody's personalities vibing together. And, you know, I started adapting just doing the kind of the 30 day, 60 day, 90 day reviews, which sounds scary because I've been involved in those that are scary, but I'd I tried to make them not scary, more like a, hey, yeah. how do you feel about how things are going? You know, well, how do you feel that. You know, with the team? Yeah, I love that because what, what you're doing is you're placing ownership back on the employee and you're giving them the ability to make a decision and say, do you want to take ownership of this responsibility? Do you want? Yeah. And that's where truly accountability comes into play, where you're saying, OK, you're setting the goal for yourself. You're saying that, yes, you can accomplish this. And now. Once they've said yes, now, okay, I am an, I'm the supervisor. I'm the one that's going to be able to give you uh, the feedback, the recognition, but also support, encouragement, and say, okay, what can I do to help you achieve the goal? I mean, if you're falling short, is it because you don't have the right training? Is it because you don't have the right equipment? Is it is it too much of a demand on time? Um, or possibly maybe you're wasting time and maybe we need to talk about time skills and maybe we need to develop something that's going to be, and we talked about this earlier, the further education, the learning and paying people to be able to mentor or train people or your people to be able to have a better organization. Um, let me go down a real quick rabbit trail because I hear this all the time is why do what, what happens if I train somebody and they leave me? And the opposite of that is what happens if you don't and they stay? Because when you look at the, uh, the, the component, yes, there's a possibility that they can leave. Yes, there's a possibility that they could take what you've given them and go to a different organization or whatever. But man, if they stay and they're not trained, that is so much worse. So uh, there's a whole concept in there of wanting the best for your employees and looking out for their benefit, which then has a reward and a return that you cannot measure. Well, and another thing to think about is when you're hiring in new employees to and you're onboarding them and you're training them and you're creating these things, you need to think about your people that are already there too. Because yeah. I've actually been a part of this before where you know you start out with a company and you know they're they're kind of small and they don't have a lot of amenities and stuff. And then they, you know, get to a point where they've added some things and they're hiring people in and all of a sudden you're like, wait. <laughs> I'm doing this and they're getting that and I'm just here doing this. It's just me. Hi, I'm still here, you know, and, <laughs> well, and there's a yeah. lot of different paths this could take. Right. And I've seen it in multiple ways. One is the fact that all of a sudden you get panicked. And so you raise the starting minimum wage to yep. equal to the person that's been there for five years. And you're just, the, the guy looks at you like, dude, I'm making 15 and I've been here. Let's say it's 15 bucks an hour. I'm making 15 bucks an hour and I've been here for five years. This guy's coming in and starting at 15. I mean, like, what the, what the, what the, what the, <laughs> you know? And so there's a, there's a little bit of a understanding that you have to be able to value your employees and whether that comes through a pay, it comes through the way that the benefits, the organization, there's, there's that whole aspect. And then just understanding as you're growing, the pay has to equal the job. And, and we talk a little bit about the value of this and we'll talk more about value when we talk about delegation, but specifically you have to look at, okay, this job pays $10 an hour, whatever that is. If you want $15 an hour, that means you have to take on this responsibility and this responsibility to equal that $15. So it's not paid because you've been there. It's a pay because of what you do. And if you can get your mind around the fact that the pay is equal to what you're doing, not to the time that you've been there, 
that's really where the business, the rubber meets the road in business. And it, and it allows you to be able to hopefully train your employees, give them a path to success, give them a path to be able to increase their income and, and, and be more beneficial to the organization. Absolutely. And I know one, you know, struggle I've seen small businesses have, especially right now, you know, like we talked about just with there being a lack of qualified employees yep. is just the fact that if they do have, you know, some really great employees, they start like giving panic raises. They give like yep. these panic raises where they're trying to keep them from quitting, but there isn't again, added responsibilities or anything attached to that. It's just like this panic raise that they're giving. And it has the opposite effect most of the time from what I've seen is yep. it doesn't make them more dedicated or, you know, to do a better job, it typically has the opposite effect where they're less reliable and they end up having more of an issue with these. I, we've seen it with bonuses. We, you and I, we were working with companies and a guy gave a bonus to an individual. And the next thing we know, it's like that guy was less loyal. Um, yep. Yeah. So it, it definitely, it definitely has that impact. Um, there's another thought here too. And um, it's kind of still developing in my head. So I'm going to stumble on it a little bit. Uh, but the well, let me go to this road instead. The and when I've actually been consulting and working with some other individuals, they have employees that have been there for a very long time, right? And so they've made promises, they've done a lot of things, um, and then that employee produces really well, but does not fit with the culture. And they're like, "Well, I have to keep him around because of all the sales that he's doing, or because he's such a high producer." The challenge that you're going to find is that that toxicity. That that is in that individual, even though they're high performers, that toxicity that they create in the organization is going to drag your organization down, even though that they're a high performer. So I always put it this way and, and think of it in a square block. And there's four corners in that block. And on the top of it, we go from productivity to no pro productivity. And on the other side, on the top of the box, we have culture fit, non-culture fit. And you can basically look at all of your organization and assess all of the employees and see, okay, where do they land? If they're on the top scale and they're very productive, but they have no culture fit down here, that's a person that you need to let go or figure out why he's not a culture fit and maybe train them in that way. The person that doesn't, is not productive, is not a culture fit. Obviously it's an easy fire. If the person is not productive, but is a good culture fit, might be in the wrong seat, may need more training, but that scale right there, and this is something that you kind of work through. It's a strategy you work through to be able to figure out existing employees, are they a good fit or are they not a good fit? Do they need training? Do they need, like, where the where do you, what do you have to work on in order to get them a good producer and a good culture fit? Absolutely. Well, and I know I've seen it, cases with clients that, you know, there are some people have been there for 20 years, 15, 20 years. And so obviously there are, especially this is what I'm thinking of right now is a sales position. They are a high performer with sales because they've been there from like the beginning. Mm -hmm. However, again, culturally, not a fit. Um, productivity, really not a fit. They're still just kind of flying on the accounts they've always had. But those are reoccurring and those people always work with them. Those become a challenge. What do you recommend maybe for people that are kind of in that that arena to where, you know, they've have the people that have been there for a long time, but they're not kind of fitting in the other boxes. Uh, well, it depends on the size of the company. Uh, there's a lot of depends and it depends on this and it depends on that. And it depends on, there's a lot of different depends. So it's hard to be able to say 
cookie cutter, this is what you do. And you, you play, yep. so you can't, you really truly cannot do that. So I'll give you one illustration. I worked with an individual who had that exact same situation. He wasn't in sales, but he was a really great performer as far as the production. He was in service business, knew the job, knew how to be able to do it. The customers loved him. But when he came back in and they, whenever they made a change in the organization, he would always at the water cooler talk, he would always go back and say, well, no, we don't really need to do that. We can keep doing it the way we've always done it. And even though that change was for the good. So even though they were friends and they'd been working together since the beginning and there've been promises and all this other kind of stuff, eventually that in, that the owner had to let that person go. It frankly was the hardest thing the owner ever did. Uh, in fact, he called me the day he let him go. He's sitting in the, in the uh, garage and he was in tears because he let, he felt like he just lost his best friend. So it's hard. However, since that time, and now it's been like two or three years, since that time, he has now taken a company that was a six-figure company, like three, four hundred thousand, and now he's at 1.5, pushing into three million this year. Because he was able to implement the changes, because he was able to do the different things. The the one thing, and I'm gonna tie this in all together right here, because we talked about the money and the bonuses. If you believe that you are gonna tell your individual and say, hey, and don't tell anybody how much you're getting paid. That that's never going to happen. Everybody in the in the organization is eventually going to figure out who's getting paid and how much they're getting paid and what those jobs are for. That's why when we said it has to be equal to the job, it has it, it can't be just because you've been there a long time. That's never going to work, and it will backfire. And actually, um, it is illegal to ask that to not talk about pay. I found that out recently. Oh, I didn't know that that it was illegal. It's illegal to ask and most people don't know that right i didn't, know, I that didn't know that i found that out just um in a like a business law um like seminar type of thing yeah. um because i definitely have worked no for lots what. of companies yeah people are gonna know i mean it's just yeah. gonna happen but when you're dealing with a situation where a salesperson is completely a lone ranger and a rebel and they just have their network and they keep, keep them with them you got to really assess how valuable or unvaluable that is, because what it could be doing is crimping your business that you only work with four or five individuals and you have all of your eggs in one basket. So you have to be really, really careful about that. And again, each each situation is unique. So it's difficult to put a cookie cutter on any one of those things. No, absolutely. Well, I, I more asked you that question because and you ended up saying it because I wanted you to kind of touch on some things that we needed to say here. But, you know, part of that of, you know, is looking at kind of what's going on again in your, your business right now and giving recognition to your employees that have been there for, you know, all the things that they are doing amazingly, right. And giving feedback of all the things they're doing amazingly, or maybe they could do a little more amazingly, but also allowing them how to give you as the business leader, you know, constructive criticism <laughs> on maybe yeah. things that could be done better. And I know we touched on that in a couple of episodes back, just about the importance of having, you know, kind of an open door policy on, you know, being able to come and say things that are going on without any type of, you know, negative feedback from the leader on things that are being said. I think that is huge to company culture, but it's also huge to just having a great team. It's essential. Oh, it is absolutely essential. Yeah. And there's like this, we could talk about a whole bunch of other things when it comes to this, but if we're just really, truly summing it up, I mean, you have to have regular feedback. Without it, it's impossible. You've got to have, and the other thing is recognition and reward has to be within the boundaries of your core values. 
So if they're producing, if they're doing great with sales, it has to be within the core value. Um, there's a, like I said, the, the continuous improvement and hiring specific people to come in and train absolutely key in order to be able to increase your personal development for the employees because you want the best employees there. So when you're looking at all of this stuff, building a high performance team is, is essential for scaling your business. And by using the strategies and tools that we've discussed and just frankly went over on a high level in this episode, we, I mean, you're going to be able to hire the right people. You, you can foster the teamwork and then create that collaboration. And then that creates a culture of excellence within your team. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Business Acceleration Playbook. We look forward to seeing you guys.